Parshat Re'eh. Um, I'm going to focus on one posuk and one commentary. So you might think that that's going to be a very short shear. We can always hope. But the point is that I think that this posuk is an extremely important posuk. It's a verse that uh, conveys an incredibly important piece of information about Judaism and the Jewish faith. And the Orachaim really encapsulates a number of ideas contained in this one verse. And although there are many other commentaries on this verse that I, I, you know, that I perused as I was preparing the shir, I decided just to use the Orachaim. Um, I, I, I took the whole piece. I've uh, taken an existing translation, hopefully improved it. And uh, that's what we're going to focus on today. The Pasuk is in Sefer Devarim, chapter Yud Beis, 12, Pasuk Chavches, 28, it's in Parshas Re'eh, Shemoyer v'shamato is kaladvarim ha'eleh. Shemoyer, what does the word Shemoyer usually mean? We, we always use it to mean keep, observe, be careful. Okay, I've translated it here as be careful. Shemoyer. Um, it can mean other things as well, but we're going to keep it at that. So let's use the word observe or keep. I think that that's the best the best translation for this particular posuk. The shamata, what does shamata mean? Shema. What's the difference between hearing and listening? That's a good question, right? In English, you have hearing, you have listening. What's the difference between hearing and listening? Shema Yisrael. I'm going to get, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the pshat. I heard it from my Rosh Hashiva many years ago <coughs> when I was in Ne Yisrael in Baltimore. Not about this week's parsha, not about Shema Yisrael. There is a parsha in Shemois called Yisroi. How does it begin? Va Yishma Yisroi. The Rosh Hashiva asked, What did Yisroi hear? Va Yishma Yisroi. It's in Rashi. Rashi says he heard about the splitting of the Red Sea and about um, Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And yet the Medrash goes and says a few other things that he heard. What did Yisroi do as a result of him hearing those things? He came to Moshe Rabbeinu. Where was he before? During the, all the time that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses was saving the Jews from slavery in Egypt, where was Yisroi? Oh, he was in Midian. He was a Kayan Midian. He was a, he was a fancy guy. He was in Midian. He heard something and he came to Moshe Rabbeinu. I want to ask you a question. I don't know what the um, ancient civilization equivalent of CNN and NBC was. But there must have been something. Carrier pigeons. I don't know what, the, what it was. They all heard the news. Let's talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Do you think that Yisrael's neighbor also heard about Yitzhak Mitzrayim? I think so. No, I would, I would think, I would imagine that he also heard about the exodus from Egypt. What about, what about Kriyas Yamsuf? Do you think that Yisrael's neighbor, maybe next door neighbor, in the next street, in the next village, in the next town, do you think he also heard about Kriyas Yamsuf? Probably no. I would think so. They all heard about it. However he heard about it, they heard about it. They maybe didn't have a TV to turn on CNN. They weren't checking Google News, but they did hear about it, right? Whatever he heard, they heard. He wasn't unique. He wasn't a novi. 
This wasn't prophecy. So what's the difference between Yisrael and them? So the difference is that Yisrael came and joined the Jewish nation. And those other people in his town and village didn't hear. Did, sorry, didn't join the Jewish nation. They didn't pack their bags and come to Midbar Sinai and join the Jewish nation. So what does it mean by Yishma Yisrael? So we have, in English, we have a great word. Listen. So listen doesn't mean the same thing as hear. We hear lots of things. We hear a whole range of things every day. But do we really listen to them? Are we paying attention to them? Do we actually do anything because we heard those things? Or do we just say, oh, we heard that, and now we're going to move on to the next thing? You know, I, 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 many years ago, I watched a movie. It's called The Truman Show. Have you ever seen the movie The Truman Show? With Jim Carrey. So The Truman Show, the whole premise of the show is that there's this, this guy who was born in a false environment, which is watched, it's like a sort of reality TV on amphetamines, right? This guy is born inside a, a cocoon, which is a TV show. And at some stage, he's already an older person in his 20s, or 30, I don't know how old he is, because that's never specified in the movie. He realizes he's in a TV show, and he breaks free and escapes. It's an interesting movie. You can watch it. It's fascinating. I found the last minute fascinating. What happens in the last minute? So everybody's been watching this show. It's so incredible, the tension as it becomes apparent that this guy who's in the movie realizes that he's in a movie, that he's in a TV show, and everybody's glued to their TV screens, and they're watching, what's he gonna do? What is Truman gonna do? And eventually he just goes, and then the show is over, and the screen goes to black. What do you think everyone does? They just change the channel. That's all they do. That's what people do, right? They hear something unbelievable. We hear unbelievable things every day. And then we zone out and we just change the channel. Because it's simpler, isn't it? So much simpler. We just need to change the channel. We heard something which was earth shattering. People say, how is it possible that the world stood by when six million Jews were being killed in the Holocaust? Very easy. You just change the channel. These are not Vayishma Yisrael people. Vayishma Yisrael people are people who hear and listen and then do something. What did Yisrael do when he heard about Yitzhak Mitzrayim and about Kriyas Yamsuf? What did he do? He packed his bags. He said goodbye to everybody. He took his entire family and he went to Midbar Sinai. He joined the Jewish nation. Why? Because he realized this was so significant. This is far more significant than anything that's ever happened in my life, in history. I can't just stand by and say, okay, it's just another thing. I'm just going to change the channel. You can't just change the channel. Sometimes you hear things and you can't just change the channel. The word Shema in Hebrew means more than just hearing. Hearing is just noise. 
We hear things all the time. Shema Yisrael, we say. Before we say what the words that follow that, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. It's not hearing. Don't just hear it, that God is our God and God is one. It's not enough just to hear it. There has to be a significant reaction to the fact that this is information. Shema Yisrael, listen. Vayishma Yisrael. Yisrael listened. He didn't just hear it. He listened. Now look back at the posuk. Shemayr v'shamata. Observe and listen. It's going to be a very significant difference. Now that you know what I've just said, it's going to, it's going to help you understand the Orachaim. Shemayr v'shamata is kol advarim ha'ele. Observe and listen to all these things. Asher anoichi metzaveka that I am commanding you. Why? In order that it should be good with you, with all your descendants after you, ad oilam, forever. For you will be doing what is good and what is right in the eyes of God, your God. So this is the type of posuk that superficially you would look at and say, of course, it all makes perfect sense. And you read the next posuk. I haven't included the next posuk in the source sheet. But you just read this posuk and say, yeah, of course, it makes sense. The trouble is, there's a lot of this posuk that doesn't really make sense. I'm going to give you one, just one example. And then we're going to begin looking at the Orachayim. Shemar v'shamata. What comes first? Shemar. What should come first? Shema. Shema. First you have to hear something, and then you do it, right? Okay, so you're going to say to me, Naseh v'nishma, right? So, you know, when we accepted the Torah, we said, we will do and we will listen. Wonderful. Of course, when you're making a commitment, you'll say, we will do. I'm going to, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. It's different than the word shemur. Naseh, to do something, okay, I mean, it, it obviously requires an instruction. Shemur assumes that you've already had the instruction. Whatever that instruction may be, it's already come about. I've been instructed, and now I'm going to follow your instruction. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm going to follow your instruction. That's what it means to observe. I tell you that you need to, uh, you need to say Shema. Okay, I'll say Shema. Shemur. This is different. It says, Shemur v'shamata. I will observe everything that you've taught me. V'shamata. And now I'm going to listen as you teach me. What are you talking about? You can't observe things that you've already been taught if you haven't yet been taught them. There's something wrong with the timing here. It's in the wrong order. It should say, Shema u'shmur. Not the other way around, right? You agree with that? It's just one question. Let's look at the Orachaim. Today we only have two sources. The first source takes up about sort of an eighth of a page, here on page one. The rest takes up several pages, and it is the Orachaim on this posuk. Says the Orachaim, Shemur v'shamata, observe, keep, and listen, is kol hadvarim ha'ele, to all of these words. 
I'm going to read the translation. I'll occasionally refer back to the Hebrew, but I've, I've worked this translation very closely. Hopefully it will be helpful. Um, and those of you who are listening online, you can download the source sheet. Uh, and uh, I think that that would be very helpful. The sequence of words, Shemoyr v'shamata, observe, keep, and listen, appears to be reversed. The Torah should have written, listen and observe, keep, right? It should have said, um, Shmira before Shemia. Besides, what are the words ace and coil meant to include? Look at the Pasuk again. Shemir v'shamata, ace, kol, hadvarim ha'ele. It could just easily have said, Shemir v'shamata, hadvarim ha'ele, Shemoyer and Shamata, the things, these things, that I am commanding you. What do the words ace and kol add to the equation? Right? You get that question? Furthermore, why is this the only verse in which Moshe speaks about the well-being of the children due to their parents' observance of the commandments? So throughout Devarim, we have many different references to keeping the mitzvahs. This is the only time when Moshe Rabbeinu says, why should you observe the mitzvahs or listen to them or whatever it is he's saying? So that it should be good for you and for your children after you. Ad oilam forevermore. What is the connection between Shemar v'shamata and Laman Ad oilam. How does that connect? Okay, and now this, the, what we're about to see is the most puzzling question of all. What is the meaning of the words kisase hatoiv, which appears to be the result underlying the commandment so that you and your children will do well? It says at the end of the Pasuk, what does it say? Kisase hatoiv Hashem for you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of God your God. Good and right. The title of this year. The good and the right. What is good and what is right? Is there a difference between the two? By the way, I'm not sure that Arachim deals with that as well as some of the other Mepharshim. But it's an interesting expression. By the way, as well, we find, find it in Vaischanon. Sase hatoi v'hayoshar. Be'ene Hashem. What does it mean to be a toiv and a yoshar? Be'ene Hashem. What does that actually mean? What does it mean in the context of this posuk? Moshe has already given the reason for this when he said, Shemoir v'shamata. So he's added leman in order that as a result of this observance, etc. Right? It says leman yitavloch. Is already said. So clearly the well-being was described as the result of mitzvah observance. What exactly does the add to the posuk? So if you're reading this superficially, forget the question of the Arachim, you're reading the posuk superficially, it's what I would call a feel-good phrase. Right? You feel great. You know, it's added on at the end of the passage, because you've done what is good and what is right in the eyes of God. But the Torah doesn't add feel-good phrases. That's not what the Torah does. The Torah is much more specific. 
The Torah is much more focused. We need to have a real um, understanding of what this phrase, what this additional statement at the end of the Posuk means in order to understand not just that phrase itself, but the entire statement. Okay? Let's go on with Orachayim. Continues Orachayim. Orachayim. I believe, he says, that Moshe Rabbeinu is giving two separate instructions. What are they? Number one, to observe and to listen to the Torah and the various commandments. In other words, the ones which B'nai Yisrael were already familiar with. So they have, for the last 40 years, been residing in the wilderness, they have been given instructions, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. We have 613 mitzvahs in the Torah. I know that Dvarim contains some of them, but essentially they've been told you need to observe Shabbos, there's Pesach, there's Shavuos, there's Sukkot, there's Rosh Hashanah, there's Yom Kippur, you need to wear tzitzis, you need to, whatever, all the different things, you need to bring Korbanus, all those things they already know. That's one level. Then there's a second level. This is so important. This is crucial. This is the fundamental principle of Judaism. By the way, this is the reason that Judaism has survived for more than 3,000 years. Listen to this, the second reason of the Orachayim. To listen to and observe the various decrees our rabbis have formulated throughout our history that are known as fences, siyogim, Gedorim, we know that this is, that the Torah was not a time-bound um, document. It wasn't something that was just given to the, what we refer to in Hebrew as the Deir Hamidbar. The Deir Hamidbar were those who came out from Egypt and received the Torah at Mount Sinai. They were given a set of laws. Now, in most cultures, societies, a law that applied in some ancient time may be very interesting for historical purposes, but does not have any relevance now. Why? Because as time unfolds, new things occur, and those laws, regulations, customs that may have been relevant then are no longer relevant now. The Torah has built into its framework, into its system, into its structure, the concept of rabbinic law. What does that mean? It means that the Torah wasn't time-bound for the Dur Hamidbar. It was something that evolved over time through an interpretative method that was used by the rabbis and that there is relevance of the Torah in the modern era. In today's, whenever that time may be, maybe a thousand years later too, we're now more than 3,300 years later. And we still use the Torah as the basis for our lives. How? Because we have this second element. We have this, this additional supplementary element of, of Judaism known as rabbinic interpretation, rabbinic law. Okay? Continues the Orachayim. Concerning the Torah and the commandments written in the Torah, Moshe said, Shemoir, 
That makes perfect sense. These are things that the Jews have already heard. They must observe and keep those things, seeing that these were already known. But when it comes to rabbinic decrees, they're not yet known. Do I know what a rabbi is going to say in 50 years or 100 years or 500 years? I've got no idea. How do I know? So I know what the Torah has already taught. I am now one of the Bnei Yisrael, after 40 years of Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership, having received the Torah Mount Sinai, I know what I've, I've already heard. But I'm not a prophet. Can I know what I have not yet heard? I've got no idea. Says Moshe Rabbeinu that there is a, another concept of observing the Torah. And that is the Shomata. Be sure to listen to them. Make sure that it's not just Shemur. Don't ossify the Torah. Don't turn the Torah into some kind of relic, which existed then for that time, but doesn't have any relevance today. The Torah is relevant today. How? Through the Shomata. Make sure you listen to those people who are charged with making the Torah relevant to you in your time, your age, and your era, for your life, wherever you may be, both in terms of time and in terms of geography. You must make sure the Shomata, now it makes sense, right? The order of Shemur and Shomata makes sense. You can be Shemur on the things you've already heard and make sure that you're a Shomata for the things that you're going to hear, okay? And Moshe added the words ace and kol to warn the people to be sure that they include all of the various decrees and ordinances that would be enacted by the rabbis in the future. He said the words kol hadvarin, all the words, to remind us that unless one fulfills both Torah commandments and rabbinic derabanan commandments, one has not fulfilled them properly. So if you read the Torah, what is, what is this really, by the way? This is a refutation of the arguments of the Sadducees. Who were the Sadducees? The Tzidukim. The Tzidukim emerged in the late Second Temple period. They were a sect of Jews who said, we don't go with all these customs and regulations that the rabbis tell us have an ancient history. We don't agree. We have now gone back to the original text of the scriptures, the Torah, which was given to us. The Torah tells us what to do. And we listen to the Torah. The rabbis who interpret what the Torah means don't know what they're talking about, and therefore we ignore them. These, these were the Sadducees. The Pirushim, the Pharisees said, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. The whole point of the Torah was that it was a basis document. It was a platform document. It is a document that, um, uh, that enables, encourages, demands interpretation. Without interpretation, it has no meaning. And in fact, if you observe just what it says in the Torah, you haven't done it properly because you haven't included rabbinic interpretation. Moshe concludes this thought with the words, to remind us that it is the performance of all these rabbinic decrees which will enable the Jewish people to raise Torah true generations of children and grandchildren, descendants ad olam. If you just leave the Torah as a document that is time-bound for the generation that received it, 
you are doomed to failure and to extinction. That is what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying. Look at the Pasuk again. Shemair, keep the mitzvahs I already told you. Veshamata, make sure that you observe the mitzvahs that the rabbis and future generations will tell you are emanating out of the Torah. Is kol hadvarim, everything that they tell you. Asher in order that there should be a future for the Jewish nation. Otherwise, this experiment will have failed within one or two, three generations. How long can you sustain an identity if it is not dynamic? You cannot. It needs to be dynamic. It needs to be real. It needs to be relevant. And Moshe Rabbeinu is introducing the concept in Dvarim, in this Pasuk in Parshas Re'eh, of relevance in the Torah. Don't say that the thing that I did a hundred years ago, that's what they did and it worked for them then, it doesn't work for me now, therefore I abandon it. No, what you did a hundred years ago worked then, but there is an evolution that goes on. The Torah can be reinterpreted for modernity whenever that modernity may occur. Now we're in the 21st century, but in the 20th century, in the 19th century, in every century that preceded it, that was their modernity. And the Torah that was 100 years earlier was somehow not quite, using the Torah as a platform, you can draw out a relevant Torah for today. But it has to be that. You can't separate one from, you can't say, no, I'm going to see what everybody else is doing. I'm going to do what they do. No, it has to be based in the Torah. There has to be a basis in Shemair. You need to be a Shemair. And then you also need to be of a Shemata. And then you can know that Continues the Continues the So now remember the end of the Pasuk Moshe Rabbeinu says that you, you will be doing what is good and what is right in the eyes of God, your God. Why did he say that? To explain that the purpose of rabbinic decrees and ordinances is only to enable you to do what is good and correct in the eyes of God. And what does that mean? This part of the verse is also part of the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu commanded us to observe and listen. In other words... That in order for this to work, you need to be a Shemar Veshamata. Why? Because that's what God wants from you. God doesn't want you to say, I'm modern, and therefore whatever happened in the past is irrelevant. Nor does God want to say, you to say, only what is in the past is relevant, but what is in the present makes no sense, and therefore I reject it. There has to be a partnership a coalition between Shemur v'Shamata, that is what is Toiv and Yoshar be'ine Hashem. God doesn't want you to either live only in the past or to live only in the present. What's Toiv and Yoshar be'ine Hashem is that you fuse both the past and the present together. You create a partnership, a meaningful, dynamic partnership between the past and the present. In order, that is what the Pesach says. is saying, according to this first version of the Arachaim. Continues the Arachaim, let's turn to page 2.
What else can we see from Shemar Vashamata? Our verse may also remind a person who is in the habit of fulfilling a particular commandment and is fully aware of what it entails, not to say that he does not need to study this commandment. So do you know, have you ever met somebody who says, I know everything? I think we've, we've all met those people, right? I know everything. Don't tell me about that thing. I'm fully informed. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. People who think that they know what... Don't talk to me. And the moment you start talking about the subject that they think that they're an expert, they kind of go blank, right? They, they switch off. Moshe Rabbeinu says that's a terrible mistake. The arrogance of people who believe they know everything is hubris. And in the end, they're going to be stuck in the level of knowledge that, you know, when they finish studying that subject. And in fact, it diminishes over time. I want to tell you something that the human brain, as brilliant as it is and as fantastic as it is, diminishes over time. There's things which were very, very clear when you first studied them. And later, if somebody asks you a week later, you study for an exam, let's say. Next day you go into the exam, you answer all the questions perfectly, you got an A. Okay? Let's say you took that exam a month later. How well would you do in that exam? I'd love to think that we'd all get an A. I think it's highly unlikely. How about if you took that exam 10 years later? Do you think you'd get even close to an A? I don't think so. I, d I highly doubt it. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, Shemur the Shomata. Make sure that when you're the Shemur, that you're always a Shomata, that you're always a person who studies and makes sure that you know exactly what it is that you're doing. You know, Rabbi Yonason Ebershitz, I've quoted him before, he wrote one of the most, he actually didn't write it, it was put together by his students after he died. It's a book called Ya'aris Devash. It comes in two volumes. Bionis Nebeshitz was one of the star rabbis of the 18th century. And his students in Metz was one of the cities where he was the rabbi. Every time he spoke, and by the way, I don't know how we'd handle this today. I don't think that any of the droshas, the sermons that are recorded in Ya'aris Devash, took less than three hours to deliver. Some of them may even have taken five hours. I don't, I don't know if we'd... Imagine I'd give a sermon on Shabbos for five hours. How long do you think I'd last? I don't think I'd last very long. But he was a fantastic speaker, thoroughly knowledgeable, and clearly very charismatic, and must have been quite entertaining in his delivery. And he gave these droshas on numerous occasions, he mentions, that anybody who doesn't study the laws of Shabbat is guaranteed to be a Mechalel Shabbat that he doesn't know how to observe Shabbat properly. What are you talking about? I've been keeping Shabbat since I'm a little child. I was brought up to keep Shabbat. Rionison says it's not possible. Because you forget things. We're human beings. We're flawed. Our brains aren't perfect. And things that we know, we think we know, later on they become vague in our minds. And if we're too arrogant to admit it, then essentially what we're saying is that we don't know. And he says, you must make sure to regularly study the laws of Shabbat 
if you want to be fully Shabbat, fully Shabbat observant. That's exactly what is contained in this Pasuk. What he is saying is, Shemoir v'shomato. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling everybody, you observe, you know the laws, of course, it's fresh in your mind. But be a shamato. Be somebody who continuously does chazara, um, repeats and reviews the information that you already know to make sure that you know it thoroughly and properly. Because if something is important to you, you make sure that you know it properly. And you don't think that because I learned it 20 years ago that I know it now. Okay? Continues the Arachayim. Another way of understanding the order in which Moshe Rabbeinu phrases this advice is that it is a reference to something which is um, uh, said in Hosea. Hosea chapter 14 verse 3 it says, The nishlema parim sefosenu. Let our lips substitute for the bullocks, for the oxen. Do you know what this is? This posuk is a very important posuk. This posuk is the basis of the fact that we do not have to bring korbonas today, but we still mention the korbonas in our prayers. How many people here have been to shul on Shabbos? I think everybody's been to shul on Shabbos. We have a tefillah on Shabbos called Musaf. Does anyone know what Musaf is? Musaf, Musaf is a um, tefillah which is dedicated to the Korban Musaf. On Shabbat, we brought, Musaf means extra. We brought an extra Korban, an extra sacrifice. How many people here have ever brought a Korban Musaf? Not one of us, right? Because there's no Beit HaMikdash, and we're not, there isn't any way for us to bring a Korban Musaf. However, all of us have said the prayer of Musaf. Do you know what the basis of that prayer is? It's this Pasuk in Hosea. The Nishlema Parim Sefatenu. Our lips will make up for the fact that we can't bring the Korbanot. Our sages have taught us that when it is physically impossible to observe certain commandments, the way to make up for it is to study these commandments. Use your lips as a substitute, your mouth, your vernacular, your talking as a substitute for the mitzvot that you cannot keep. The classic example is the entire animal sacrifice legislation, which the Jewish people have been unable to fulfill ever since the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Just as it is impossible to keep all the words, Moses is satisfied with asking for an effort. How can you be a Shemoir in that situation? If you are a shamata, if you know you can't observe those laws, at the very least, you should know what those laws are about. Study them, know them thoroughly, and it will be as if you observed them. He uses the word vashamata as the parallel for the positive commandments. These two are impossible for one individual to perform totally. I want to ask you a question. Have any of you here eaten turuma? No, why not? You're not Kohanim, right? You need to be a Kohen to eat Jeruma. And by the way, Kohanim today also don't eat Jeruma. But if we live in the time of the Beis HaMikdosh, and there is a mitzvah of Jeruma, it's one of the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah. You must separate Jeruma, that you can do, but you can't eat Jeruma. What are you going to do? How are you going to observe that mitzvah? 
You can only keep 612. Okay, so then there's, there's another issue. What's that issue? That, um, for example, chalitza. Do you know what chalitza is? So there's two mitzvahs. There's one called yibum and one called chalitza. Let me tell you what the, those mitzvahs are. If somebody dies without children, his wife needs to marry his brother, who's not yet married. Maybe, maybe he is married, but he needs to marry the brother. Why? So that his name should be perpetuated through that marriage. Okay. What happens if the brother doesn't want to marry his sister-in-law? He has to do chalitza. Okay. So it's one or the other, either yibum or chalitza. They're both mitzvahs in the Torah. Either you have a leveret marriage called yibum, or if you, re you reject that opportunity, it's called chalitza. So which one should you do? Only, well, you can't do both, right? Because one cancels out the other. So what's going to happen? First of all, how many people ever in life have that opportunity? Very few, we would hope, right? We would hope nobody, but very, very few. And even when somebody has that opportunity, he's only ever going to be able to keep one of those mitzvahs, not the other one. That means, again, we've just reduced, uh, now we're down to 611. By the way, it's many less than that. There's maybe, maybe between 150 and 200 mitzvahs that we can keep today that are recorded in the Torah. Did you know that? Out of 613 mitzvahs. That's the count. So what about all the other mitzvahs? How are we going to be able to observe the mitzvah of Chalitza and the mitzvah of Yibum if it's not relevant to us? You know how? Study Mesechti Yovamas. If you study Mesechti Yovamas, it will be Venishlema Parim Sivasenu. You will have fulfilled the mitzvah of Yibum and Chalitza, not because you did it, but because you studied it. How do I know that? Says the Urachaim, because Moshe Rabbeinu said in chapter 12, verse 28 of Devarim, Shemoir Veshamata. Be a Shemoir if you can be a Shemoir, but if not, you'll be a Shemoir. Why? Because you're a Shemata. That is how you will observe those mitzvahs. You will be able to observe six. Don't think I'm keeping the mitzvahs I keep and the ones I don't keep, I don't need to know about. What do I need to know about, you know, all the mitzvahs of Turuba? What point is there? I don't need to know any of it. Yes, you do. You know why? Because the only way that you can be a fully observant Jew, if you study the mitzvahs that you don't have to keep, if, if you're only a Shemur and not a Shemata, then it's not Eskol Hadvarim Asheanim Tzavecha. It can never be everything. You've excluded hundreds of mitzvahs out of your life. And therefore, it won't be Lemani Tablacha Olavanecha Acharecha Adoilam. Why? Because you will not have observed 613 mitzvahs. The only way you can be a fully observant Jew is if you know all the mitzvahs in the Torah. If you, and that's by the way, there's, there's Sforim that contain all the mitzvahs in the Torah. I've discussed it before. There's Sefer Achinuch. How many times have I quoted Sefer Achinuch? You know what Sefer Achinuch is? Every mitzvah in the Torah according to the order of the parshiot in the Torah. Why? Because if you study them, it's as if you observe them. The ones you need to observe, you need to observe. But the ones you don't need to observe or cannot observe, if you study them, you become a shamata, lemani tablechol, vanecha, acharecha, ad oilam.
That is the purpose of it, says Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, let's continue. We're still on page two. There's another way of understanding what Moshe Rabbeinu said to the Bnei Israel in this part. You see how much it's contained in this one verse in the Torah? We're looking at one posuk and one commentary. Look how much is, is contained in this one posuk. This is a Mesechas Avodah Davyud Tes. Moshe Rabbeinu may have also been paraphrasing something we've been taught in Tractate Avodah that one should always read, what does that mean? Commit to memory the text before explaining it. In other words, try to understand it fully. This is what Moshe had in mind. One should observe the commandments even before one has fully understood them. But he implies that faithful performance will ensure that one remembers the commandment, which will lead to the Shamata, that you will study and understand its meaning. So this is a Naseva Nishma concept. This is the concept that you do the mitzvah. When you do something, you know that, uh, have you ever read the book, uh, The 10,000 Hours? 10,000 Hour Rule. You know what the 10,000 Hour Rule is? If you do anything for 10,000 hours, which is basically five years full time, then you will know what you're doing. If you want to, uh, you know, if you want to hire a good lawyer, make sure the lawyer has been in practice for at least five years because he'll have passed that 10,000 hour mark, we hope. I'm not sure he'll have charged $500 an hour for every one of those hours. I'm not even discussing that. The 10,000 hour rule is, if you've done something enough, you will know it. Why? For two reasons. First of all, you have so much experience in it, and that in itself gives you wisdom. And secondly, because you, you do something so much, you want to know what you're doing. You don't want to just be doing it, you know, just I wake up in the morning and I do it. I want to understand what I'm doing. You'll read up more about it. You'll know more about it. You'll ask people about it. You'll see other people doing it. And they'll either correct you or you'll correct them. Somehow it's also a learning process. It says, Urachaim, Shemur, make sure that at least the basic level of being a good Jew is Shemur. Make sure that you do the thing. But also the Shomata. That that is a learning process, it's a learning curve, it's an upward curve that you are continuing in this process of study all your life, that you gain knowledge in that which you do. Here's the next. You see the Arachaim goes from one thing to another to another to explain this concept of Shemur V'Shamata. Oid Yispara al derech Omram Zal, and this is in the Zohar, this is a Kabbalistic idea. Moses may also phrase this verse to reflect a statement in the Zohar which says that the sins a person has committed act as a lock, precluding him from unraveling the secrets of the Torah. Okay, so when you do Averis, what is, what, what is an Avera? I want, I want to ask you a question. Conceptually, we're now about to begin Chodesh Elul, the month of Elul. We're just about a month away from Rosh Hashanah. What is the concept of an Avera? Before we deal with the concept of a mitzvah, what's the concept of an Avera? If you're going to say, you know, simply speaking, you do something wrong, right? I've done something wrong, like, you know, okay, I've done, it doesn't have any meaning. What, what does it mean to do something wrong? So if you look, you know, I, I, I don't know how best to illustrate this, but let's say, you know, let's say, I, I don't know if you ever, you know, in a computer game, when you do something right, then whatever it is you're doing moves 
towards whatever the goal is. And when you do something wrong, it moves in reverse, right? And it goes away from the goal. Like, I mean, I'm going to use an example that we can all relate to. We just don't have it. It's not real life. Imagine in a horse race, every time the horse does something wrong, it goes back six paces. And every time it does something wrong, it goes forward six paces. So when you do something right, that's a mitzvah. It moves you towards your target. But when you do something wrong, it moves you away from your target. You're moving backwards. You're reversing. Okay? So now you have to do more. You have to make more effort to get back to where you were before you did the Avera. That's the concept of a sin in Judaism, at least presented by the Zohar, by Kabbalah, is that a mitzvah, it draws you away from your target. I'm sorry, an Avera draws you away from your target. A mitzvah draws you closer to your target. Now look at what the Urachaim says. A sin that a person has committed acts as a lock, precluding him from unraveling the secrets of the Torah. You find a similar comment in the Shulchan Aruch. He wrote that the gates of understanding to the Torah, the words of Torah, are the questions which trouble normal human beings. Let me explain to you what that means. Why is it that somebody doesn't want to do a mitzvah. You know, I've met a lot of people who tell me, I'm not that interested in keeping kosher. So I don't know, I don't get it. it I, I don't really understand it. I'm sure in ancient times it made sense that this is the way that you, know, you have to only eat meat that has shechita. But today they're very humane, they know what they're doing. It's very clean, I go to the supermarket, I, I go to the grocer's store. I don't need to worry about kosher food, right? They have, they have intellectually, they can't grasp the concept of kosher food, therefore they just don't bother with it, right? What is that? That's a barrier. The more you do that, the further away you are from ever just keeping kosher, just making sure you eat kosher food. I'm using that as an example. By the way, it's everything. It's, um, it can be Shabbos, it can be Lashon Hara, it can be sitting in a sukkah on sukkahs, it can be anything, it doesn't really matter what it is. If you don't intellectually grasp it, and you've never really looked into it too deeply, you just assume you understand it, and you assume certain aspects of it to be what you believe them to be, then you, you're not going to do it, right? You're, gonna, you're going to go with your assumptions. You go with your gut, as they say here in America. That is the basis of most of the things that we do. Look at what, look what he says. Fascinating. This is the mystical dimension of the klipot, the spiritually negative forces which have been created by man's own sins. Each time you do that, each time you do an Avera, you create a further barrier which prevents you breaking through to a point where you are completely comfortable doing mitzvahs. You are removing yourself ever further from the perfection of performing mitzvahs as they're meant to be performed. You are withdrawing from that place, drawing away from it. Moshe tells us that if you truly wish to understand, to find answers to the questions which trouble you in your faith, you must first shemer, observe the commandments whose meaning bothers you, and subsequently the shamata, you will be able to understand the answer to the question which previously troubled you. It's a very interesting concept. You know that uh, there, was, uh, there was a speaker, 
I, I brought her to London a few times. I saw her once or twice here in Los Angeles. Sadly, she passed away three, four years ago. Her name was Robertson Esther Jungreist. Did you ever hear her speak? She was a marvelous, absolutely marvelous speaker, a Holocaust survivor, a very, very warm person. She wrote a few books. And uh, she said something the first time I invited her to speak in London at my community. She said something, it's, it's, it's always stayed with me. She said, if you don't have a reason to smile, smile anyway, and God will give you a reason to smile. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. I don't know where she got it from, if it was hers or she heard it somewhere else. It's a wonderful thing. In other words, lots of people say, why are you miserable? You ask them, why are you miserable? <laughs> why should I be happy? I've got nothing to be happy about. Everything in my life is miserable. What should I be happy for? She says, no, no, no. Of course, everything is, is miserable. You know why? Because you're miserable. But smile, be happy, and then we'll suddenly there'll be reasons for you to be happy. Now we've taken this up a notch. So that's an idea in and of itself. It's a self-help idea, it's lovely. But we've taken this up a notch. Do you know what the Urachaim is saying Moshe Rabbeinu means? Shemoir v'shamata. It's taking the concept of Nasev and Nishma up to the next level. Do you know why you should be an observer? If, listen, if you never observe the mitzvah, of course it's never going to make sense to you because you never did it. I never ate in a sukkah in my life. I should start now? Yes. Start now. Eat in a sukkah. See what it's like. You might enjoy it. It might suddenly make sense. You're going to sit in a sukkah with other people eating a sukkah. You're going to see how much they enjoy it. Suddenly there's going to be pleasure in eating in a sukkah. Of course, if you've never eaten in a sukkah in your life, eating in a sukkah seems to be completely ridiculous. Why should I go in a shed in my garden and eat food when I can eat inside my house? Right? I mean, logically, the question makes a lot of sense. I don't know the answer, but I'm going to eat in the sukkah and I'm going to try it. And it's going to make sense. And if it didn't make sense today, I'll try again tomorrow. I'll keep trying. I'll keep smiling because eventually the smile will be real. I'm going to keep eating in the sukkah. I'm going to keep keeping Shabbos. I'm going to eat kosher. I'm going to be a good Jew. I'm not going to speak Loshan Hara. I'm going to daven in the morning. I'm going to daven in the evening. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to do it. Do you know why? Because if I'm a Shemur, I'll become a Shamata. But if I'm never a Shemur, I'm never going to be a Shamata. The order makes perfect sense. If you just say Shema first and then Shemur, then I'm, I'm intellectually curious. Let me see if I can work it out. And if I work it out, then I'll do the thing. No, no, it's the opposite that makes sense. Be a Shemur first. Make this a part of your life. Make this a crucial component of who you are. And then Shamata, it will all begin to make sense. It all comes together. That's another interpretation. Okay. We'll do one more piece. I think mean, this is quite a long piece. I don't know if I'm going to get through the whole thing. But at least we'll start it. It's a wonderful idea. And it's taken from a Gemara in Chagiga. This is the, uh, this is, this is the beginning of a long piece by the Urachaim. The verse may also be understood in light of what it says in Chagiga, that if the rabbi is the same as an angel, one should request to hear Torah, words of Torah from his lips. Look at what it said. Look up at the Hebrew. Im harav doime lemalach Hashem tzavois, Torah yevakshu mipihu. You see that? That is a principle that is declared, as it were, a statement of principle that we find in Gemara Chagiga. Moshe simply says that if the teacher is truly Torah observant, 
Shemayr, you should listen to what he has to teach. The Shamata, right? If he is a Shemayr, then the Shamata. But then Moses adds the word, Eskol Hadvarim. What does that mean? This may be understood in light of the question directed against Reb Meir on the same page in the Gemara which discusses how one might learn Torah from a heretic such as Elisha ben Avuya. Anyone heard the story of Elisha ben Avuya? The Gemara in Chagiga has a long discussion about a man who was one of the most significant rabbis of his generation. We're talking about in the first century um, of the uh, CE, right? This is around the time of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. There's a Gemara in Chagiga that says that four people went into the heavenly spheres. Only one of them emerged unscathed. That was Rabbi Akiva. He was also a Rebbe of Reb Meir. But there was another one who was a Rebbe of Reb Meir called Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya became a heretic after he encountered the secrets of the Kabbalah by going into the highest spheres of the, whatever it means to go into the heavens, he went, he ventured into the Pardes and became a heretic. So what would you have expected Reb Meir's reaction to be? He would reject him, right? I mean, can you learn Torah from a heretic? You would expect Reb Meir, the great Rabbi Meir, not to study Torah from the mouth of a heretic, but he continued to maintain and sustain a very close relationship with this teacher, Elisha ben Avuya. This is the Gemara in Chagiga. And the Gemara in Chagiga has various stories about his encounters with Elisha ben Avuya in the strangest situations and discussions that they had, which included very, very um, blunt and open discussions about Elisha ben Avuya's drift away from the normative Judaism of his time. This great rabbi, who ran away from Jewish life, but continued to live within the community. And Rabbi Meir, the great Rabbi Meir, you know, we say, Stam Mishnaka Rabbi Meir, that when a Mishnah doesn't have a named opinion, whose opinion is it? Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir was one of the greatest rabbis in Jewish history. And we see that his teacher, one of his teachers was Elisha ben Avuya, and he maintained a relationship with him. So what are we meant to understand from that? So look what the Orachim says. How could Reb Meir learn Torah from Elisha ben Avuya? The question is reinforced by a quotation from uh, Malachi, Malachi chapter 2 verse 7. For the lips of a priest guard knowledge, and men seek rulings from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's what the Posuk says in Malachi, that's what the Gemara quotes. Surely Elisha ben Avuya does not fit the prophet's description of a person who dispenses Torah knowledge. So what does the Gemara answer? That Rebmeo had another posuk that he based himself on. It's a posuk in Proverbs 22.17. Incline your ear and listen to the words of the wise and your heart to my wisdom. Let me see if I can just find it here. In, in the uh, Hebrew. Um, where is it? Karashka, v'dorach, 
The Dorash Hat Oznecha, I don't have the whole Posuk here. You can look the Posuk up. It's in Proverbs 22.17. So what is Shlomo HaMelech saying? He does not say that one should listen to their wisdom. Right? It's not their wisdom, the teacher's wisdom. But he said, Ladati, to my wisdom, which is God's wisdom. Although this appears to leave us with two contradictory psukim from Tanakh, the Gemara resolved this problem by saying one verse refers to what ordinary people should do, whereas the verse in Proverbs refers to what great scholars can do. So we have here a contradiction between two psukim, one which seems to imply you should never study Torah from a heretic, and the other one which says you can, as long as you draw out, you do a kind of separation, you filter out the stuff which you shouldn't study from this teacher, and you draw out that, or you study, learn from that person the stuff which is God's word. So what did Ramea do? Ramea was a person who could do that. Why? Because he was a great Torah scholar. Therefore, he wasn't going to be affected by the heresy in what Elisha ben Avuya taught him. But an ordinary person, mere mortals like you and me, we don't have the capacity to be able to differentiate between what we should know and what we shouldn't know. And therefore, the, the other posuk, which is the posuk in Malachi, in Malachi, that's the one which tells us how we should behave. That's what the Gemara seems to be saying. Okay? Rabbi Meir was great enough to be able to distinguish which of Elisha's words reflect a genuine Torah outlook, some, uh, something that most ordinary people are unable to do. The Gemara raises another problem. Okay, in Chagiga. Rava explained, there's a posuk in Shira Shirim. I descended to the nut garden to have a look at the green plants of the veil. It's in chapter 6, posuk Yud Aleph. Rava asks, why are the Torah scholars compared to a walnut? And you know what he answers? Just as the walnut is dirty on the outside without its interior becoming defiled, so too a Torah scholar. Even though he may have sinned, his Torah has not become contaminated. And Rabbi Bashilo encountered the prophet Eliyahu Anovi. He asked him, what is God preoccupied with? By the way, that's a question that the Talmud is preoccupied with. What has God been doing since mass liberation, since the days of creation? Eliyahu Anovi answered that God is telling the angels about the teachings of all the Torah scholars, except for the teachings of Rabbi Meir. Why didn't he quote Rabbi Meir? Because Rabbi Meir studied Torah. Um, um, look, look what it says here. That Rabbi Meir had found a pomegranate and eaten it while discarding its outer shell. Okay. No, sorry. Rabbi Meir, because he'd studied from Elisha ben Avuya. So Rabbi Barshila wanted to know what Rabbi Meir was guilty of, that he was discriminated against in heaven, because he said Rabbi Meir indeed had learnt from Elisha ben Avuya, but he had managed to just draw, as we said earlier, he was able to draw the words of Torah from Elisha ben Avuya and discard the rest. So Leonovi answered that as of that moment, because of what Rabbi Bashiloh said, that God was quoting the sayings of Rabbi Meir. In fact, God prefaced Rabbi Meir's sayings by saying, by referring to him as my son, Bani Meir. So it turns out, that according to the Chachamim, an eminent scholar may listen to the words of Torah even from the lips of a heretic. So this is a very interesting thing. What is Torah? Torah 
is something which is pure. And it's pure notwithstanding where it may emerge. Torah is something that in and of itself has value. And you disregard the origin, according to this Gemara. Rabbi Meir was, a, was more discerning. According to Rabbi Meir, and this is later on in the Arachaim, only somebody like Rabbi Meir can study Torah from those sources. But according to the Chachomim, not at all. Torah has value in and of itself. Shemoir, you must be an observant person. The Shamata, but you can hear, is Kol Hadvarim. Any Torah from wherever it may emerge has value and is important and is crucial and is true because it's Torah. Even if its um, source is someone like Elisha ben Avuya. Don't ever say that the Torah from somebody that you don't agree with isn't Torah. Don't ever suggest that the Torah from someone whose opinion differs from yours or someone you consider to be a degenerate in terms of their Torah observance, that that Torah isn't valuable or that Torah has no value in terms of what it can teach you. You have to study Torah wherever it may emanate. From wherever it may emanate. Shemoir, you must make sure to be fully observant. But that doesn't preclude you from being a shamato. In fact, if you're not a shamato, then it won't be good for your children and for the generations after you. You have to be secure in who you are. You have to be a shamoir, but you also must always be a shamato. You must be willing to learn, to study, to know from the widest range of sources what it is that the and then you draw out the words of Torah that are true and that which isn't true based on your fundament of Torah observance on your Shemoir, you can then disregard the other stuff. But don't ever say, I'm not going to listen to anything because somehow if I listen to that, I'm going to, be, I'm going to become diminished. That's not the case at all. You won't be diminished by it. In fact, you are diminished by not being a Shomato. You become ossified, you become history. If you just remain in your little shell, you have to be like a Rebbe Meir. You have to have the confidence of your observance. You have to, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, be a Shemoir, you must always be a Shemoir, but you also must be a Shamata. Why? Because that's what's toiv v'yashar be'ene Hashem. That is what is good and right in the eyes of God. Don't you become God. Don't you become God's policeman to determine what's good and right. What's good and right in the eyes of God is that Torah is Torah and Torah is pure. We'll leave it here for today.